Lots of Roughneck news on today's podcast. We'll talk about the four new signings of Friendly, and I'll also introduce a new segment for the podcast. Let's call it the Review Preview. MLS kicked off this weekend. We had some surprises, and wait, I think Portland just scored on Minnesota again. We'll talk about that game as well as the other matches this big weekend for the MLS. Last but not least, one of my favorites, the U.S. Open Cup announced the participating teams this past week. Could there be a possible Tulsa Derby? We'll talk the details, but for right now, folks, it's time to get the closets cleaned out, get the blankets, the pillows, because it is time for another episode of the Tornado Alley Soccer Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tornado Alley Soccer Podcast. I hope you are doing great and thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your podcast repertoire. And I am Roger Graham, your host of the podcast. Lots to discuss today and we are in the middle of the opening weekend of the MLS kickoff. But before we get into the MLS weekend, we have to talk about the two CONCACAF Champions League matches that occurred midweek. For those who aren't familiar with the CONCACAF Champions League, it is the club championship of the North American, Caribbean, and Central American regions. So this would include Mexico, uh, Jamaican teams, you know, the teams that comprised of that geographical area, including the MLS. And we had uh, the quarterfinals this past week, and there were three MLS teams playing in those quarterfinal matches, and one of them was FC Dallas. Uh, this was the second leg of their match against Arribe Unido out of Panama. So... They had to fly into Panama to play this midweek match before they started their opening weekend of MLS. So um, the good news is FC Dallas was carrying a 5-0 to zero aggregate lead going into that match. So Aribe had some work to do, and they did not get it done. Uh, they were victorious in the match with a 2-1 to one result. The late goal coming in for Aribe. Uh, wasn't enough. FC Dallas uh, continues on, and they will be in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Champions League against the Mexican side, Pachuca. Should be a great game there. And the other match was Vancouver hosting Red Bull New York, and there was a 1-1 aggregate score line. So there was a tied game, but uh, for you folks who aren't familiar in aggregate scoring, if there's a tie... The tiebreaker is away goals, and Vancouver had an away goal in New York at their first match. So they had a little bit of an edge going into this uh, second leg, but it didn't matter. Vancouver 2-0 over the Red Bulls. So Vancouver will move on to play Tigres of Liga Mex, another Mexican league team. So in the CONCACAF Champions League, Semifinals, you have representative from United States in FC Dallas, a representative from Canada in Vancouver, and you have two uh, Mexican sides, uh, Pachuca and Tigres. So there will be, there's a chance you could have an all MLS finals if FC Dallas and Vancouver beat the heavily favored Pachuca and or Tigres. 
I expect that Pachuca and Tigres will be really tough to beat in a two-leg semifinal situation, one playing in Mexico and then the other one at home. I will be interested in those matches because, you know, the big gripe around these parts is that, you know, uh, MLS and other leagues aren't competitive against the League of Mex teams. So we'll see. We'll see if there's been any progress made in that regard as two MLS sides will going up will be going up against two Liga Mex sides. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on from there and talk about the MLS opening weekend kickoff matches. Uh, I probably a lot like most of you soccer fans out there were watching uh, with that first match, the first rattle out of the box, as they say, was Minnesota United at Portland Timbers. And let's just put it this way. It was as non-competitive as you would think a team coming up from the NASL coming into the U, coming into the MLS would be. I, I thought it would be a more competitive match. The, the final was 5-1 in favor of Portland. Uh, Lawrence Olum, he started out the scoring in the 14th minute of Portland. And it was 1-0 at halftime, which, you know, Minnesota, let's just, I didn't think it was a 1-0 scoreline at halftime. I, I thought it could have been 3-0. Uh, 4-0. Portland had maintained a lion's share of the possession. I would say it was almost like 70-30 in possession, or at least it seemed that way. I'm not, I haven't seen the official stats, but uh, it just seemed like every time Portland had the ball, uh, Minnesota was very unorganized at attack. It was watching a team that had, you know, Minnesota United hasn't been a team for very long. They've got a lot of these players pretty quick. I can't imagine how daunting of a task that may be. You know, we've seen it here in Tulsa with the Roughnecks putting it together teams pretty quick um, now for the third year in a row. But trying to do that at the highest level of competitive soccer in the United States, listen, I, I would not have wanted that task. Just just put it that way. So, you know, I don't want to sit here and beat up on Minnesota United too much, but uh, it, it looked like a team that, was coming up from a lower division playing against teams that were in a better division, in a better position. So unfortunately, I kind of tweeted this and I took it back because I did not want to uh, get the flack from the pro-rail folks. But I said, you know, here's an argument against pro-rail right here. We're watching it happen. But it's a long season. Minnesota United has some players. They have a little bit of room to wiggle and to make some moves if they need to, from my understanding. But uh, just to kind of go down the list here, in the second half, uh, Portland, uh, Diego Valeri, uh, who I thought had a marvelous match. That that guy's going to cause so many problems for players, for teams, for players on the other team. Little guy, very quick, causes lots of problems. He had a brace in the match, and also uh, Fernando Adi as well had two two goals there in stoppage time. Uh, the one lone goal from Minnesota United was from Christian Ramirez, uh, a big fan favorite there in Minnesota as he opened up his book for his MLS career with a goal, and he's somebody who scored quite a few goals for Minnesota United, started on the bench uh, in the match, came in as a sub, 
And I know just reading through the Twitter, a lot of the Minnesota United fans want him out there more playing. So we'll see if that continues on. And now we have uh, the next match uh, on the weekend was Chicago Fire at Columbus Crew. Uh, the first half, I, I did. I watched most of the. I watched, I think, all the first half and a little bit of the second half, and I had some things going on around the house that kind of pulled me away. Hey, I have a six month old and I've got other responsibilities. I can't just sit around and watch soccer all day, guys. Um, I know it's being an adult. I know. But anyway, um, the Chicago Fire first half looked pretty toothless on, on the attacks. Um, Columbus had the, a lot of possession. Um, you know, reading some of the commentators out there on Twitter and, and social media were like, well, this is a Chicago we're used to. Just, you know, there's no attacking, no organization at the midfield. Looked pretty sloppy. And then I went and did what I had to do, come back and saw that Chicago scored. And it was almost like a tell of two halves. Uh, lots of people were happy with Dax McCarty. They said he organized pretty well. I know first half he was getting a little frustrated because he would run the ball up to the middle, to the point, and have nobody open. I mean, no one was moving. No one was trying to get in space. And you could tell he was a little, little flustered. Um as I would be too, if I would have the ball and looking around and everybody's just standing around, well, it's going to get you upset a little bit. Yeah, he's a very competitive player. I think he's going to be someone who makes that team a lot better uh, with his leadership. So it appeared that maybe at halftime, coach got into him a little bit, uh, kind of got organized, came out second half, and you know just what I saw, they looked a lot better. Uh, their counterattacks were a lot had a little more opportunities there. And I didn't see the goal, um, uh, the goal there late in the second half. But, um, you know, I saw the scoreline. Nevertheless, that would be a great result. Uh, David Acom with the goal there in the 73rd minute for Chicago. Again, good result there. I'll just let you know, I posted earlier in the week, uh, the odds for the matches and Chicago was less favored than Minnesota United to win their match against Columbus. So for Chicago to go to Columbus, one, one tie, get a point there on the road. I don't think there's anything to complain about there. That's a good result. And it's, you know, a lot of people still think they're the old Chicago team that, didn't do much last year. So maybe this is the corner. The fire have turned, bringing in a new season and ushering in a new hope for the fans in Chicago. All right, we'll move down to the next match, which was the Galaxy hosting FC Dallas. Kurt Anolfo. It's his debut at LA Galaxy. Uh, he was LA Galaxy 2 coach last year. Now he's the LA, you know, parent team now, the, the original LA Galaxy, so to speak. And uh, also something of interest in the starting lineup was Jack McBean. Yes, uh, the guy who's been given the Tulsa Roughnecks fits for two seasons now. He is now with the parent club. Great 
Love to see that. Love to see people playing in the USL, now playing in the MLS, whether it's for their parent club or whether it's for a completely different team. That's what I like seeing. I like to go back and say, oh, yeah, I remember this guy playing in the USL and giving us fits. He's gone, hopefully, to the parent club. So good job to him. A couple of other uh, subs were Ari Lassiter, who played for LA2 last year, and then the Villarreal brothers were both on the bench starting or on the bench for uh, LA Galaxy, uh, for, for the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, it's an interesting match. You know, I did not get to watch it. I've kind of watched the highlights and uh, just seen what people have discussed this in, in this match. And, you know, it was a, I, you know, just from what I could tell, it seemed that FC Dallas could have won this match by more than the scoreline shows. Um, all the goals came in the second half, but FC Dallas had a couple of opportunities early. Uh, one was a, you know, one ball played into the box, a lot of confusion, and uh, one of the FC Dallas forwards struck the ball. The goalkeeper just happened to be right in front of the ball, uh, so they kind of, you know, Galaxy got lucky there. They didn't have, you know, that Dallas didn't have the lead going into the half, but. Shortly after the halftime, Maximilio Uruti came in, scored uh, from right outside the box, and nice goal. Played it near, uh, I guess, near post. He was on the right side. He hit it on the left. Good strike. Ball tucked away. Good goal for Uruti. And then a few minutes later, uh, it was a controversial call, to say the least. Very, very touchy foul. Um, Romney, I believe it was, for Galaxy went flying as if though the FC Dallas uh, defender elbowed him, kind of forearm shimmied, but it looked pretty weak. He gets the call. They get the PK. Happened right on the edge of the box. So whether it happened inside the box or outside the box, that was kind of a controversial part too. And then to add to the fact that there was a little bit of an embellishment, a lot bit of an embellishment. Anyway, Giovante Dos Santos comes up, buries the PK, penalty kick. All right, and for those who may not know, you foul a offensive player inside the penalty box, the team is awarded a penalty shot. I know, it's a little bit of a harsh rule in my opinion, but it is the rule, and so we have to live with it. So now at this point, 53rd minute, game's tied at one. And in the 69th minute, Kellen Acosta coming across the box, going to the far side, kicks it near side, across his body. This guy is athletic. He's going to score a bunch of goals this year for FC Dallas. Kellen Acosta, goal in the 69th minute. And then there was a time... Late in the match, I think in maybe in the 90th minute, uh, Jermaine Jones ha- hits a header. Uh, and uh, FC Dallas goalkeeper uh, made a phenomenal save. Just happened to be right in front of it. Actually, no, it wasn't a save. It was a, off the post. It came off the post. It would have gone in the net if not for the post. So there was a chance for L.A. to make it even late in the match, but it was not to be had as the FC Dallas, the, the hoofs, move on.
to 1-0 in MLS action. And then just a few other matches going on for the weekend. I know lots of people were interested in the DC United and Sporting Kansas City match. Ends in a nil-nil draw. Looked like it was a pretty cold game. Lots of people bundled up. Real Salt Lake, Toronto FC ends in a nil-nil draw. Always a fun scoreline. Nil-nil draw, right? Uh, yeah, it is what it is. It happens. Colorado Rapids gets a home victory against the New England Revolution. So Pablo Mastroni and company uh, with a win there, start season one and oh. And probably the biggest upset of the evening of the day, Houston Dynamo with a 2-1 win over defending champions Seattle Sounders. Let me tell you, Wilmer Cabrera, this was his debut, coached at Rio Grande Valley FC last year of the USL. Team I wrote off as not even making the playoffs, a team that the Roughnecks should get points against. I didn't take them serious. And boy, he proved me wrong because he got that team going in a good way. Wilmer Cabrera can coach, folks. And it looks like his momentum carried right on into the MLS because you could hear the commentators just from what part of the game I watched with the Dynamo. They're saying he was bringing new energy, a new focus to the team. All positions were up for grabs. He wanted that competition with his players. And they said it was some of the more intense training he's at that some of those commentators have seen or heard from the players. Obviously, bringing a high level of standard into the Houston Dynamo parent club, you know, was at the USL affiliate, now at the parent club. And hey, uh, I don't see why not. I don't see why he's not going to be successful at the MLS level. Coaching transcends. If you're a good coach at one level, chances are you're going to be a good coach at another level. This is pro league soccer. He's used to it. Uh, was U17 coach for the United States. He might be the next up and coming uh, big name, you know, if he continues this. And I, I don't see why not. So I'll be very interested to see how well he continues that attacking style of offense. Uh, very organized attacks. And, you know, Seattle. I, I thought Dynamo could have scored a couple more goals, to be honest. Seattle looked lost out there. Uh, you know, I know in the second half they played a little bit better, and I really wasn't watching it in the second half, but you know, they, were playing on their, they were playing on the back of their heels the entire match, the entire first half, I can tell you that. Um, you know, very few opportunities for the Sounders, but, hey, it's a long season, so I'm sure uh, they'll get organized and – will be competing in the MLS. And then the final match here, San Jose Earthquakes with a home victory over the Montreal Impact, 1-0 scoreline there. And the other matches are taking place today are Orlando, New York City FC, Atlanta, Red Bull New York, and Vancouver at home against Philadelphia. Unfortunately, by the time I'm recording this, I, I those games will be happening before will be happening, will happen before I post my podcast. So I don't have those results now, but you'll know about them by the time my podcast comes out tomorrow. So that is our MLS recap for week one of the brand new season. I hope your teams did well. 
Maybe they didn't. What's your expectations? Are you still fired up for your team to be successful? Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And now to segue from the MLS to local soccer, there was a friendly on Saturday at the TU Soccer Track Complex between the Tulsa Roughnecks and the University of Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Well, before we start to that, you get into the details there. Uh, TRFC had four new signings this week. Uh, one was defender Jorge Cordero Corrales, who is a former Cuban national, now a U.S. permanent resident, so he will not count as a foreign-based player in this for the USL and for the Open Cup. Last year, he spent some time with both Miami FC and Fort Lauderdale Strikers of the NASL and played internationally for the Cuban national team. So that's a defender, uh, Jorge Corrales. And then also three more signings to add to that roster. Uh, we had, these are three internationally based players. Uh, was Jaime Ayala, defender Francisco Ugarte, and forward Pasha Kondurkan, Kondurkan. Uh, were all signed and available and played in the, in the friendly on Saturday. Uh, well, uh, let's talk a little bit about that friendly on Saturday. One of the things I was not prepared for was how cool and cold it ended up being. I saw the forecast was 70 degrees. I wore a short sleeve shirt and jeans to the match thinking I would be overdressed. And come to find out, I was completely underdressed. So, you know, lesson learned. Bring a jacket in Oklahoma because the weather is not very predictable. It was in the low 60s, mid-60s, but it was very windy and overcast. That equals cold, okay? So it was a cold, kind of a windy game. Uh, it was a south wind, so the TU setup, it's a north-south build. The wind was very much a factor in the match, uh, to, uh, roughnecks were against the wind in the first half, uh, but we, you know, had some opportunities early on. Ins von Tessen had uh, two shots pretty early. One like the eleventh minute, and the other one the thirteenth minute. Uh, one we thought went into net, but it actually went wide. The net hit the hit the post that the net sets up, where you pull the net back and pull it on the post. It hit that post, and a lot of us thought the ball went into net just from the angle, but it uh, wasn't the case. And then he had another shot go off the post. It uh, looks like he, he hit everything on that goal, but inside the net early on. So it was exciting to see him have some opportunities at goal. He's a big target man, so uh, I think he's going to be somebody that can pull in some of those defenders, like I mentioned last week, and someone like Christian Mata or you know one of these uh, quicker smaller forwards can get in behind and and get some goals because of it. So we had some early opportunities there. And then, uh, you know, it was uh, one of these matches that kind of played in midfield, it seemed like, after that. Uh, Tulsa had a couple of opportunities, tested the keeper, one in the 17th minute. Uh, Bob was played kind of outside the box, and I'm not sure if it was an errand pass, but the ball – Came in at the keeper. He made a pretty easy save on it. And then another one later on in the 40th minute was a little harder hit ball uh, that had an opportunity to score for Tulsa. 
he was in the right position, and that was Brian Byers. He is a trialist. Uh, played for Rio OKC last year, and he was played pretty well. I uh, kept a clean sheet for the re- for the whole game, so no no complaints there. And then there was another uh, opportunity for the Roughnecks, uh, Joaquin Rivas, and then uh, another opportunity with Juan Pablo Caffa. Uh, had some opportunities, you know, throughout the half, you know, and just couldn't get it in the goal. And it was pretty tough. It, you know, all the crosses, that wind caught those crosses. If, if the crosses were in the air for very long, that wind pushed them back. It was one where a corner kick, I think it was, uh, Juan Pablo Caffa hit, and the ball was headed in for the, you know, the net. Not really in the net, but headed toward the goal, and the wind kicked it all the way out to the almost past the the box, almost past the penalty box. So, that wind was major factor. You had to hit the whipping cross end just to you have a chance at getting anything on the other side of those crosses. And well, that was uh, first half ended with a nil nil score line. And then the Roughnecks made some quite a few subs. A lot of players came off. I know um, Juan Pablo Caffa came off. I, I saw him in the street clothes along with Ian Svantessen. They were both you know, in jeans and t-shirt, T-shirts and jackets. So I know they were off. And then um, uh, Ayala was off. So there was Revis as well. So there was quite a few people. And then Juan or I'm sorry, Christian Mata came off in about the 50th minute, 55th minute. So there's a lot of starters coming off and, and a lot of the trialists. And you mentioned, said the reserve team on the Roughnecks page. So I'm not sure if that's guys they're looking at having as a reserve team or if that meant guys that they were bringing on as trialists. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But uh, one of the trialists that got my attention was uh, Bolito Fernandez, who was the third-round draft pick by the FC Dallas. He had three really good opportunities. Uh, one came, uh, I think, in the 83rd minute. He had a nice rip from right from up top of the box, right-footed curling kick in the back of the net for the lone goal of the match. And then... Couple minutes later, he hits one. I mean, point blank in front of the net, hits it off the top of the the goalpost or the top of the post, and the ball ricocheted back towards you know the side of the play and not into the net. That was an, I, I thought he was. I thought that was another one in, and then he had another opportunity. He was off you know in, to the left side of the net, and I thought the ball was going out of bounds. I thought, oh, his ball's going to be a goal kick, and and that's it. But he made a pretty athletic play and almost backheeled the ball into the net. I mean, the goalkeeper had to make a play on it. It was a very – the ball was kind of over his head. He was running toward it and trying to catch up to it. I thought he was just going to miss the ball, and he actually stopped the ball and backheeled it almost into the net because the goalkeeper was was a little bit off off his line, and the goalkeeper had to make a pretty athletic – stop to get that ball and I believe he also had another header and I think it was actually number 27 and I don't have his name I can't remember if it's him but there's a lot of traffic there's a lot of players in the way and there's no replay so I had no idea you know who it was ultimately but there was a ball and I, maybe Walito 
was the one who crossed it in, and there was a header, a diving header, and the TU goalkeeper made a very athletic save, keep the score line. I think at the time it was nil-nil, so there could have been another goal right there. So uh, it seemed like the second half, the Roughnecks opened it up a little bit, and it really got open after that first goal. I guess maybe some nervousness came out, maybe – Team, they started playing looser, and I thought they were going to score two, couple more goals before the end of the game. As luck would have it, uh, for for TU, it didn't happen. They, I thought TU played pretty well. Uh, I don't think they gave up anything. They played, they played them. They played the Roughnecks tough. Uh, you know, for if you're a Tulsa athletic fan, I think one person that you've got to be excited about how he played was Kai Dewitt. He played. He he's kind of a bigger, you know. I you don't realize how big these guys are until they're playing up against other soccer players, and he's a pretty big dude. And I was talking to Matt Bolt. Just I saw him at halftime and just chatting with him, and he said that guy can he he wasn't giving up on he he wasn't letting he wasn't. Uh, he had a phrase. He said he wasn't letting Roughnecks get away with anything. You know, he was he was causing problems. He was all over the field. Um, he wasn't letting them, he wasn't making things easy on the defensive side for the Roughnecks. And, you know, you have to be excited. That's a tough-nosed player, and he can get up and go when he needs to. I mean, that, he, he's got a little speed to him. So I was really impressed watching him out there. And then, um, and then there was a very athletic play by number 14, if I can get his name. Uh, he had a goal, right? Uh, Bradley Bourgeois who was a TU alumni, uh, he was right in front of goal and and that and the player uh, for the University of Tulsa uh, made a very athletic play. He was coming across his body, made a stop, and Bradley Bourgeois almost fell down, I think, or maybe did fall down. And, and then uh, he made a shot from goal and, uh, and was, def- was uh, handled by the goalkeeper for uh, was handled by buyers from the Roughnecks. So it was probably one of the plays that, if that would have gone in, uh, no question, would have been the play of the day uh, because it was just one, it was a very athletic play. Uh, and that was uh, Manashi Raranji, uh, Jinx, actually a Jinx grad. Uh, I think, hopefully, I said that name, Manashi Raranji. So anyway, good play. And, and I know, uh, Matt was talking about him uh, just when we were over there chatting. So good stuff there. Good game by both teams. I don't think – I think for TU, you've, you've got to be happy with, you know, with the result. I know you want to win those matches, but all in all, good effort. Uh, you know, last week lost the match against Swope Park 5-0. No, the team, TU, played a lot of players in that match, so I know they just wanted to get some people – some experience. So this one, I think, you wanted to tighten up a little bit and play it to, as a as they would a normal soccer match. So there you go, one nil Tulsa Roughnecks over the University of Tulsa. And I also have a couple sound bites here. We have Coach Volgerol and a Christian Mata. Got to talk with those guys a little bit after the match and get their take on what they thought, how they thought the match went, and. Just get their insights from the match. All right, folks, I have uh, Coach David Bulgerall right here with us after the uh, TU scrimmage uh, where Tulsa Roughnecks won 1-0. Uh, late goal, uh, 
by uh, Valito Fernandez, correct? Okay, great. Well, what do you make of today's performance today, Coach? I thought under the circumstances, there, everything about the game was great. Tulsa was a perfect competition for us. A uh, real big field that made us really work hard to cover spaces and to learn when to be smart and not get stretched out and get exposed. And, uh, you know, the first team obviously is just getting here, and we weren't fit enough to control the first half. We created one or two chances. They created a good chance. You know, I thought it was pretty, you know, it was good that in the second half when both teams changed their lineup that uh, we created a bunch of chances and scored a goal. We could have easily scored another goal or two. I mean, they could have scored one. But uh, mostly it was... Decent movement of the ball, mm -hmm. get a lot of fitness in, work real hard together as a group on defense, and then how do we decide to attack? Do we play a long run quickly? Do we play on the ground quickly? Are we playing? And whose feet are we playing to? You know, we. Whereas we start to learn each other, we know in this situation this guy needs the ball on his feet. In this situation, the guy needs the ball on the ground, but behind. And uh, you know, finding our skilled players and our veteran players—that's stuff that we need to learn right away. So, but all in all, it was good. It was a great result. Uh, perfect, perfect team. Uh, very happy that we got the game. You know, very happy watching Tulsa play. We knew they were a good team, and they were they were fantastic. So. Did you have uh, kind of just some problems just dealing with the wind today, or did you kind of expect that coming into the match? No, I mean, you can see it's very difficult for us in the first half and very difficult for them in the second half, so that's just the way it is. And, I, you know, living in Tulsa, I get the impression it's going to be that way for all of our home games, so we have to learn how to deal with it and learn how to adjust, you know. Guys that are just coming into town the last couple of days are realizing that some of those balls are used to hitting, you can't hit them. They don't, they don't fly true and they get knocked down, and... Uh, you can't, you can't lose too many of those balls in the air. you got to play more on the ground. Yeah, we're going to wish we had some wind like this in July, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, we pulled uh, quite a few of the players off at the halftime. Was that to just get them, because there's another uh, friendly on Monday against Chicago, was that to just kind of give them a break and give them a breather? Yes. The, the plan is, as much as, I mean, we put a lot of emphasis on this game, and we wanted to go out and get a win. You know, 0-0 zero, zero at halftime, that's, that's to me the true score. And I thought, although we played well, we didn't dominate the game enough as we should have. Uh, a, a lot of us to fitness, but they're a good team. But the fact that we came out with a result is great. But obviously, we don't have the ability with the, with the lack of fitness of these guys playing more than 45, 50 minutes to do any more than that and to try and play on Monday against Chicago would be, uh, you know, risking too much injury. So as much as we were excited to go win that and play more in the second half, uh, I, I was hesitant even to give some of the guys the extra 10 minutes. So hopefully it doesn't cost us. We have enough energy in the tank for Monday. The, the goal is for to play more on Monday than it was today for the starters. So. Okay. Uh, either way, we kind of timed it out so that we're hoping that no matter what, was, these three games we played, that it will be in real good shape for Saturday against San Antonio. All right, great. Coach, that's all I have for you. Thank you for your time, and uh, good luck on Monday. Yes, thank you for Appreciate having me. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right, and that was from Coach Folgerall after the match. Uh, was pleased with the performance and getting ready to play another match on Monday, actually. Very quick turnaround for their second friendly in Chicago against the fire. So he had made quite a few subs there at halftime to allow for some fresher legs for that friendly. And now we have a Ford Christian Mata here, TU, uh, former TU player, uh, Tulsa Union alum. And here's what he had to say about the match. All right, everybody, I have a, 
uh, forward Christian Mata here. We're just talking to him after the uh, TU scrimmage. And Christian, uh, how's it feel to come back here and uh, play some uh, soccer? I mean, it felt it felt pretty pretty good, you know, seeing my old coaches and yeah. uh, some of the guys that I met when I was here are still playing, finishing their year. So it was pretty fun getting out there and you know. Just got some familiar faces out there. Yeah, and then we were just talking just a second ago. Uh, how's it feel just to get to run out there and get your – I know we had a close door scrimmage the other day, but to get some fans, to get some folks out here watching, how, how's it feel just to be yeah, playing? It felt really good, you know, just to start it off like that. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good crowd out there just for a uh, preseason game. And, mm-hmm. You know, got a, got a few familiar faces out there on the crowd too, so it was fun, fun environment and a good day to play soccer. Sure. And talk about your performance today. I know you had a couple of opportunities there. Um, maybe one, I think one was miss, miss hit, and then yeah. the other one, I thought I thought it was about to go on the net there. Uh, just talk about your performance and how you feel about how you play. Uh, just, you know, these games are for to get out there and, you know, kind of, like you said, get the rust off and uh, get your touch back and, you know, get back into your finishing role. So, um, had a couple chances. I wish I would have scored one, but you know, I thought the team did very well from that um, other game that we had uh, two days ago, three days ago. Yeah. Um, I thought we came much better. We came out much better and much stronger. So, okay. looking well, forward to it, man. All right. Well, I know we have a really kind of a quick turnaround here. You're playing in Chicago on Monday, so. Uh, talk about the excitement of playing an MLS team and, and going up and making that trip. Um, it's actually my first game against an MLS squad, so yeah, I'm sure. pretty pretty excited about that. And um, you know, Chicago Fire is a very well known team. You know, they had a, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but a mediocre season. Yeah, no, no, that's <laughs> true. It's Next uh, yeah. last year, and so you know, it should be good environment. Got the affiliation going, so it should be a lot of you know fun things going on through that game. Cool, cool. Well, do you have you any suggestions of places to go eat at Chicago yet, or just kind of just where the team takes you? <laughs> I, I actually did. I have a friend from there, and uh, and he told me a couple of places, but I'm sure I'm not going to get to. You're not going to get to go yeah, to uh, Don's or any of the, was it, the uh, Luminalty or anything. Yeah. Well, I'll see if I can talk coach into that. <laughs> Christian, hey, thanks for your time, Thank man. You, Appreciate man. it. Have a good Appreciate one. You, man. Be back. Take care. Bye. All right, Christian Mata, ladies and gentlemen, and hopefully they'll get to go eat somewhere very, very good, very nice. Very good places to eat at in Chicago, and I cannot wait to go back to Chicago. I'm very excited if I get to make that trip in the near future. All right, and we'll switch gears now to the announcement that was made this week regarding one of my favorite things, the U.S. Open Cup. Yes, it is that time again, ladies and gentlemen, where teams that have guys who work during the day who have day jobs, have a little team they play on. It's pretty salty little team they play on, and they can go all the way and play an MLS team. How about that? This is the only competition in any sport that I'm aware of in the major sports where a amateur team can play eventually the highest professional team at the highest level in the United States. Let me know whenever Alabama gets to play uh, the New England Patriots, okay? Let me know when that happens. Then I'll consider if that's a better tournament than this because this is my favorite tournament. Hands down, favorite tournament in any sport, U.S. Open Cup. It is a competition where amateur teams, semi-pro teams, are all mixed together, and if you win a couple of games, you can play a professional team. 
You win that game, win another game, you can play an MLS team, like I mentioned. Exciting, exciting stuff. So the teams were announced. You know, Sonny D'Alessandro was on a couple weeks ago. He was concerned because the discussions were that there would be less amateur teams, PDL, MPSL teams in the tournament. And that would have been disgraceful, just being honest. I was with him. Uh, no, there needs to be more lower, lower division teams than anything because it's about that. That's what it's about. MLS teams playing each other, not interested. Let me know the team where the mechanic of the player who's a mechanic who works on the player who plays for an MLS team, his car, and they get to play each other. That's what I'm excited about. So there were several teams announced this week. We'll go through the list here. And like I said, I mentioned the amateur teams. And then there are the the amateur teams or open division teams, which are your men's league teams that can play and that can qualify. And that also consists of non-league teams. And I say non-league, there are smaller leagues where these teams play in. But the big leagues are obviously MLS, which is Division One. And then you have the North American Soccer League, NASL, and the United Soccer League, USL, which are the Division II teams, the Division II leagues, and those are professional teams. And then from there, there's a gap to where there are the two major amateur leagues, which is the Professional Development League, PDL, and the National Premier Soccer League, the NPSL. Those are the two major amateur leagues or semi-pro leagues. And then you have just the rest of this group is considered the open division teams, which consist of lower league teams that are not in PSL or PDL. They're like the Florida league or the, um, you know, the Colorado soccer league, whatever that is over there that that is called there. There are smaller leagues or several leagues in this country, but they're not, you know, regionally or bigger league team, bigger leagues or national leagues as NPSL and PDL are. So they're just kind of thrown into this uh, open division. So, also, caveat, only teams from the United States are eligible to play in this. So, Vancouver, Whitecaps, Toronto FC, not allowed. Anyone that's in Canada can't play. They have their own competition, just a heads up. I believe the Voyager Cup is what they have. Okay, so let's get into it. The local qualifiers, or the open league, open division teams, which is... Uh, 56 total teams. Uh, some of the teams that are listed here, some of the major ones. We have Chula Vista FC, which is a very familiar team for you folks that have been keeping up with the Open Cup. El Frolito, I've not heard of them. La Maquina, who uh, was minute, just seconds away from taking the LA Galaxy to extra time. Very controversial call happened in the middle of the box. LA Galaxy uh, forward falls down. They get a PK. They ended up winning the match on the PK. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of that, how that happened, but we'll see if they can get revenge. La Maquina. LA Wolves FC. This is a team that's qualified in the past. Major thing about this team, they are coached by Eric Winalda of the former national team player. Uh, Fox commentator. He's very active in the local soccer scene there, and he will be coaching the LA Wolves FC. And then there's a couple of other teams from California, Moreno Valley, 
Football Club and Outbreak FC, which was in it last year. And then we have two teams in Colorado, Azteca FC and the Colorado Rush, which, side note, Colorado Rush beat Harpo's FC. So we will not have Harpo's FC in the Open Cup this year, unfortunately. But we'll see if the Colorado Rush can get it done. Azteca FC, we'll see what they can do. Boca Raton Football Club, a team that very familiar team, a repeat uh, participant in the Open Cup. Red Force FC out of Florida. And then you have a Maryland-based team, uh, Christos FC, uh, and a Massachusetts-based team, GPS Omans or Omens. They are a, a team that's been in this tournament before. A Nevada participant, Anahawk FC. I'm not familiar with them. Uh, at least their name doesn't ring any bells to me, so they may be a first-timer. Uh, New Jersey has FC Motown, who I believe have been in the tournament in the past. May have been a different name but they have, I believe, have been in the tournament before. And then you have in Pennsylvania the Junior Lone Star FC and the Tartan Devils Oak Avalon. I'm not very familiar with either of those two teams. Uh, and then a team that I'm familiar with or in this region, the North Texas Rayados, who have been in this tournament in the past and I believe have had some success uh, back a few years ago, made a little bit of a run. So we'll see what they can do this year out of Texas. I believe they're in the Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Denton area, if I'm not mistaken. And then the PDL, uh, 21 teams. Love to see that kind of number there for the PDL. Uh, division winner, Charlotte Eagles out of North Carolina. Uh, one of my Twitter friends, I call him that, uh, Andrew Pierce, he and I, he's a GM of the Charlotte Eagles. He and I talk quite a bit. So I'll be very excited to see how they do this year. And maybe we can get him on. I'd, I'd like to talk to him. Uh, Des Moines Menace, folks here in Tulsa, very familiar with them. The Des Moines Menace, the Dennis Menaces, as I like to call them, they can be such, they can be a problematic team to come across in this competition. You don't want to see them on your side of the bracket. I don't care who you are. FC Tucson, another team that's been in this tournament before, as well as the Fresno Fuego out of California. GPS Portland Phoenix, another team has been in this tournament, has had success out of Maine. Michigan Bucks, uh, another good solid team uh, who've have a little bit of a rivalry with uh, their friends down the road in Detroit City, but they are in this tournament. Oklahoma City Energy U23 will be in the tournament representing Oklahoma in the PDL. Reading United AC, another team. Out of Pennsylvania, the Villages SC. There's a, it's just like a, almost reading the list from last year's teams, really. So a lot of the same teams you see last year, they have good success, good programs. They're back this year. It's just one of those things. It's winning breeds winning, right? At large berth. So these are teams that did well enough in the regular season, didn't win their divisions, but they had they were they were competitive enough to get a nod from the voting committee. It's the Burlingham Dragons, a team that was in the tournament last year. And they also consider past participants of the league. If they did really well, they usually like they like to bring those teams back. Uh, Burlingham Dragons out of the Bay Area in, in California. Carolina Dynamo. Chicago FC United, which is the Chicago Fire U23 squad. They'll be back. Derby City Rovers out of Kentucky. I'm not familiar with this team, so they may be a new entrant. Uh, FC Golden State Force out of California. 
nor uh, the Ocean City Nor'easters. I know they've been around for a while. Uh, the San Diego Zest. I, I don't recall them making the tournament recently. So I think the San Diego Soccers made it years ago. I'm not sure if that's the same bunch, but the San Diego Zest is, is, is in it this year. Uh, SC United Bantams, Bantams out of South Carolina. And then you have the Sounders FC U23 squad, which is an amateur team of the Sounders, so they're able to play in the tournament. And then you have the South Florida Surf and an old name here, Ventura County Fusion. And last but not least, the Western Massachusetts Pioneers. So that's another team that's, I think they've been in tournament for a few years now out in, uh, I believe they are obviously in Massachusetts. Duh. Hello. Anyway, and then the NPSL, this is where I think there's some very, very interested folks locally, but we'll get to that. AFC Cleveland, who won the NPSL last year, they're in it. Um, a team that if you're in the Midwest, I don't think you want to see them on your side of the bracket. Albion SC Pros out of California. Chattanooga FC, they're back. They're fans. I know they're excited. Clarkstown SC Eagles, another team out of uh, South Carolina. Or I'm sorry, they're not South Carolina. They're out of New York, I believe. Yeah, yeah, they're out of New York. They've been in here before. Grand Rapids FC, I believe this may be their first time in it, or at least in recent memory. Miami United FC, just pencil them in every year. They're a very competitive team. Uh, New Jersey Copa FC. Sonoma County Soul, they're back. They're in it. And then some at-large berths, AFC Ann Arbor. Atlanta Silverbacks, which now play in NPSL. Boston City FC, Dutch Lions out of Houston. And I anticipate that they will get to draw the North Texas Rayados first round. FC Wichita, there you go, right there. Another team in Tornado Alley. They go, they will be in it. I'm anticipating that they will get a rematch with the Des Moines Menace is what I anticipate. Or they could be playing one of those Colorado Open Division teams. Maybe the Rat, maybe the Rush, maybe Azteca. We'll wait to see. In Fredericksburg FC out of Virginia, another team who've been in the tournament before. And then the Jacksonville Armada U23s. Legacy 76 out of Virginia. OSA FC out of Washington. And last but certainly, certainly not least, Tulsa Athletic got the nod to play in the 2017 Open Cup. So let's talk about that for just a second. And we'll run through the how this tournament is going to be set up. We have the first round pairings, which will be on April 12th. And then those matches we played on May 10th. Second round, this is where Tulsa Roughnecks come into play. This is where... Uh, all the Division II teams, so this is all the NP NASL and USL teams show up to play Who's who wins those first few matches. And so just a real quick, if you are a team your owner affiliated by, if you are owned by a, another professional club, like the Sounders 2 or Portland 2 or the, um, uh, the Rio Grande Valley FC, or Rio Grande Valley FC, you're not eligible for this tournament because that is essentially having two professional teams owned by the same team in the same tournament. Uh, U.S. Open Cup last year deemed that that wasn't fair and that was not allowed, so therefore those teams will not be 
permitted permitted to play in this tournament. So we have so those teams will not be allowed in. But if you're an independent team like Tulsa Roughnecks, you're permitted to play. You can be affiliated with a professional team. You just can't be owned by them. We're not owned by the Chicago Fire. So therefore, we're allowed in, we being the Tulsa Roughnecks. So the second round, Tulsa Roughnecks enter, which will be played on, let's get that date here, May 17th. So you have a week from the first matches on May 10th, and then you have, and then the next day on the 11th will be when they will draw for the second round. And then the second round is played on May 17th, third round on the 31st. So there's a round where all the uh, second division teams show up. And then on the, so that day will happen. And then on the 31st, it's, it's, it'll be a winner of this two matches will play the winner of this match. So it'll be the remaining first round matchups, not paired with the division two side. We paired geographically with the winners playing each other to compete the round. So there, you could either be paired up with a NASL or NPSL, or I'm sorry, NASL USL team, or you could be paired up to two teams that win. They'll have to play each other. So you may not exactly draw an NASL or a USL team in round two, but it's a, certainly a possibility. And then the participants of the 26 second round games will play each other. So there will be a, a round, another round of matches there, winner matches. And then from there, enter. So third round will just be winners of the matches of the second round playing each other. And then the fourth round, MLS enters. So if you're the Tulsa Roughnecks, you have to win two matches in order to play a potential MLS team. And so you have that. And then from there, it'll be bracketed after those matches. And then it'll just be a bracket. Teams will play whoever. You know, it's like a normal bracket, normal tournament setup. And then the final will be played on September 20th. A couple of real quick notes. I know I kind of went lengthy there, but I love it. So I apologize for getting a little too detailed there. But I want to explain why, how this is important to Roughnecks and Tulsa Athletic. Chances are, and I talked to Matt Bolton, and he seems to be of this agreeing, he seems to agree with this as well, that Tulsa Athletic will be paired against Energy U23. That'll be They'll either be on the road in Norman or they will be home in Tulsa for that match. I know he said that they applied for home matches throughout the entirety of the Open Cup. So that being said, chances are Tulsa Athletic will play Energy U23. Second round. And this is where I think Tulsa Roughnecks will be waiting for the winner of that match. Yeah, you can talk, oh, well, isn't Oklahoma City in the same region as Roughnecks and or Tulsa Athletic and U23? Well, yes, but in the chance that U23, Energy U23 wins, U.S. Open Cup doesn't like, does not like to potentially have two teams playing each other that, are, that have that affiliation. And the reason why they can play is because U23s are not a professional team. They are an amateur side. They're all they're not played. They're all college kids, like most of the NPSL and PDL are. So that's why I don't think Oklahoma City Energy will be waiting for the winner there. It will be most likely Tulsa Roughnecks. 
Now, there could be some weird thing where they play the winner of another, say, the Rayados or the um, uh, the Dutch Lions, but I don't think that's going to work because San Antonio is in Texas, and I imagine the Rayados or the um, uh, Dutch Lions will be playing the winner of – well, that winner will be playing uh, San Antonio. Now, there could be a chance they could play Oklahoma City, but that remains to be seen. I think Oklahoma City – may go west and play like the, the Colorado teams or uh, may have to go and play one of the, the California teams because there's not a lot of um, Division two teams in California that make up for all the open division teams that are out in California. So Oklahoma City could have to travel. That's kind of what I'm kind of where I'm getting at. And you know what I hope I hope that, Oklahoma City and Tulsa are not on the same side of the bracket. I hope they separate them because I'd like to see Tulsa play maybe some of these Eastern Division teams like a Cincinnati or, you know, maybe um, Indy 11. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's it'll be hard because St. Louis is in there, so St. Louis will probably draw one of those teams. But there's a lot of teams in the Midwest, and there's not a whole lot of USL representation or, you know, NASL representation in the North or in the Midwest. Same thing with the Southeast. So maybe Tulsa would get to travel or have to play some team that's outside the region. Maybe they just say heck with it and put Oklahoma City on that side. And if U Energy U23 gets there, then they'll rearrange it to where they don't have to play each other. I'm not sure, but I don't think that they would put Oklahoma City Energy and the U23 team on the same side of the bracket. So something we'll have to give there. I'm just guessing one of those two teams will have to travel is what I'm what I figured. And I think they'll probably make Oklahoma City Energy the the parent team travel and not the U twenty three. So that's kind of what it looks like from my perspective. We'll know a little bit more when the draws come out on April twelfth. And you'll you'll kind of get an idea of what the committee is thinking at that point. So open cup, love it. I'm excited. Let's get it on. Let's do this. I'm ready for it to happen tomorrow. I know maybe Tulsa Athletic, they're like, hey, Rog, let me, let's get our team first before we start playing open cup matches. But I know I know Matt and those guys are excited about it, and I know lots of Tulsa fans are chomping at the bits for that Tulsa Derby. So I will be interested to see if that comes to fruition. All right, this that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the Tornado Alley Soccer Podcast. Again, Thank you so much. Uh, special thanks to Coach David Volgerall and Christian Mata for their time. I also want to thank Mike Mitchell helping me with this podcast and for today's show. And, and, and thank you all. Thank you all for listening. And if you want to reach me, send me a mention at Tornado Alley SPC on Twitter or Rajman99 on Twitter. I'm always interested in what my listeners are interested in discussing. Or if you want to email me, Tornado Alley spc at gmail.com. Again, thank you so much. Have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next time.